0: Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to tell you about a special offer we're running over at Fizzle. Fizzle is a community we built for entrepreneurs, freelancers, bloggers, podcasters, and online creators of all kinds. Inside Fizzle, you'll find over 35 courses taught by experts. You'll find our proven small business roadmap that guides you every step of the way. You'll get to join live weekly coaching calls with me and other members of the Fizzle team. Plus, you'll find our amazing community of people like you working to earn a living independently doing something they love. Fizzle Membership is meant to be all the support you need to start and grow the online business of your dreams. Membership costs $39 a month, but right now you can get your first full month of Fizzle Membership for just a dollar. Just head to fizzle.co slash pod to start your first month of Fizzle for just a buck. That's F-I-Z-Z-L-E dot C-O slash pod. I hope to see you inside. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to The Fizzle Show. I'm your host, Corbett Barr, and this is our show about earning a living independently, doing something you really care about. Today, we're joined by Preston Lee. Preston is a content marketer, entrepreneur, speaker, designer, and blogger, and he's the founder of Millo.co, which helps freelancers and solopreneurs find more clients grow their businesses, and thrive as entrepreneurs. Preston, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Such a huge honor for me, Corbett. Thanks, man.
0: Awesome. Really glad you're here. Uh, I'm excited to talk about freelancing today because freelancing is how a lot of people get started in entrepreneurship. And I know that there are some tricks and tips and things to look out for to get started on the right foot. But I thought that maybe we would start a little bit with your background because I know that um, you kind of started a blog and it led to something that you didn't expect. But take us back to what you thought your career would look like and then walk us forward a little bit to how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, as with most people, it's been quite a journey, but I agree with you. Freelancing, I'm excited to get into it today because it's, in my opinion, like the the quickest way you can sort of escape... A day job or maybe a a life situation that you're not happy with and I'm excited to just talk more about that but but this all started my journeys all started for me in college when I was a freelancer myself I was a freelance designer I put my wife and myself through our last couple years of college um, as a freelance designer and also during that time I started a a blog sort of on a whim as a fun side project while I was in class as I would get bored in class I I would work on my blog and never really expected much to come of it but sort of in the back of my mind hope that something would Um, in the meantime, I graduated from school, sort of kept working on it. It helped me get a couple of really great jobs out of college. Um, the the blog did. Yeah. yeah, Helped you get
0: more, more freelancing gigs or, or like regular full-time employment.
1: No, it helped me get sort of what I would call my dream jobs out of school. You know, it was the extra, the little extra thing that, that helped me get jobs that said I n- technically needed three to five years experience, but because I had been marketing my blog and doing extra writing and all that sort of thing, the employers saw it as this extra extra bit that they probably, probably, honestly, in hindsight, they saw that they could hire me for cheaper with a little bit more experience because I was just out of school, but I did have this extra experience with the blog. So it helped me along the way. and And then um, you know, it, it sort of kept growing organically a little bit on the side I, I hired a couple people to help me with it on the side. But meanwhile, I was just working a day job And i um, not really sure where what i'll lead Started to listen to shows like the fizzle show dreaming about maybe doing it full-time But I took a job instead at a tech company a few years ago. Um That was really promising and a really great opportunity But just a few months in I think six or seven months in they had a huge uh, round of layoffs and they just let like half the company go. And, um, and I was part of that and I I got laid off and it was then that, uh, I decided that this little blog project that I had started in college that had grown and grown bit by bit was now making close to what I was making, uh, at my day job salary. I decided it was going to be the the full-time thing. I was going to go for it. Uh, my wife was on board, my family was on board. And so we we went for it. And that was a couple years ago. Um, since then I've been running Miller. We help thousands of freelancers all the time um follow the path they want to follow in finding clients and growing their business. And it's super rewarding and fulfilling, but but that's kind of where my journey has has led me now.
0: It's amazing. It it's it's sort of like um you you had this thing not on the back burner, but this thing running on the side the whole time. And then luckily it was there for you when you really needed it. I've heard that story so many times and you have to kind of ask yourself like, well, when am I going to take that big leap, right? When am I going to just jump in and trust that this thing might work? And sometimes it takes a little shove, I guess.
1: (laughs) It it definitely does. You know, my wife has commented on that a million times where, and I agree with her. I'm not sure we ever would have had the courage to do it. I'd like to believe I would have. But without that little shove, I'm not sure I would have had the courage to to really do it because we had the conversation a million times of like, what if I just quit? What if we just tried it? What if we, you know, but there's always the fear in the back of your mind of, of, for a million different reasons.
0: For a million different reasons. And, and you know, some of them are, are valid. It's not to yeah. say that like taking a leap is always going to work out. Um, of course, you'll probably learn along the way, but it doesn't mean that it's going to pay the bills right away. Yeah. Um, did it feel like... Um, was it devastating when you got laid off uh was it, <laughs> it did you feel like you were in your your dream job and uh, and then had the rug pulled out from under you, or was it a bit of a relief?
1: you know I wasn't uh in my dream job, meaning uh, I think the job itself was the exact kind of job I wanted, but the way it was being executed both by me and by the rest of you know my coworkers or my boss or whatever it just wasn't i didn't I wasn't excited in the morning when I woke up, you know what I mean. Um, And so I actually remember distinctly, uh, they they did this thing where they invited everyone basically who was getting let go, they invited us all in, in the morning, or they, you know, it was when we were going to show up anyway, they basically uninvited everyone who was keeping their job. And, And they sat us all in a big conference room. And as soon as the CEO started his speech, I knew exactly what was happening. And I could not wait to get up out of my chair and like, go try this thing full time. And so I I mean, to answer your question, like I was pumped. It was, it was the shove I needed and it was time to finally try this thing I had been claiming I could try, you know, and, and it was time. So I had to sit through his speech about how sorry he was. And I was like, stop apologizing, let me get out of here. <laughs> Just let you me know? leave. Yeah. Just get yeah. the security
0: person to uh, <laughs> escort me to my desk so <laughs> I can pack right. up my things. Ah. Uh, <laughs> So and along the way, um, I know that now you're really focused on helping freelancers find jobs and, and uh, helping them be successful, but yeah. your blog didn't start out that way. It started more along personal interests of yours. Tell us what direction you initially took.
1: Yeah, I glossed over that a bit, but you know, I said I was freelance designing in college, so I started a design blog. I was Following uh, people that maybe some of your listeners have heard of like Chris Spooner who were just posting really cool like design inspiration And so I started sort of copying them and and modeling my content after them. There was a lot of inspiration and um, Like how to like tutorials on design, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and all those things and those were fine but every once in a while I would post content about uh, like finding clients or Uh, Increasing profit margin or invoicing or like all of these sort of business related tasks that designers also have to deal with even though They weren't trained to deal with them a lot of designers go to college and learn How to design and then if they ever want to freelance They're just sort of thrown to the wolves in terms of starting and growing a business and I noticed those articles not only were they more fun for me to write but uh, the audience also it, It resonated with them on a much deeper level. And so I started just producing more content like that, all about freelancing and starting and growing a business. And then, uh, you know, over time, we, we started to attract not only graphic designers, but just freelancers of all kinds, writers and marketers and developers and consultants and just freelancers in all sorts of fields. Um, and so the, the name of our blog was Graphic Design Blender, and it just kind of didn't make sense anymore. So we pivoted away from that. Um, and now we serve freelancers of all kinds. And and um, just about any kind of freelancer could show up on our site and, and learn something valuable, uh, and learn something that that could help propel their business forward.
0: Did you learn any lessons about the transition there um, in rebranding and uh, relaunching your thing? I've I've gone through the same thing myself, and um, what I've found is that, of course, it's not perfect uh, making that transition, but. Um, It's encouraging to me that it is possible to make that kind of radical transition. And and not that, you know, you were in a completely new field, but being able to rebrand and take a new direction with a blog that you've already built is so encouraging because um, it means that you can, for a lot of people, they can just get started without having to worry about whether or not they have the perfect idea, did, were you worried about that along the way, like uh, feeling like you had this transition coming and did it occur to you right away to kind of rebrand or were you thinking maybe that you had to start from scratch?
1: So I don't know if if I ever considered starting from scratch again just because I knew we already had a, a bunch of freelancers coming to us and looking to us for help. I do remember though, and and long, long, long time was of the show, I think like in the first 50 episodes somewhere, if I'm remembering right, I actually called into the fizzle show to ask, uh, your advice. And it was you and Jason, and, uh, and Caleb, I think at the time. And I, and my question was basically like, can I, can I actually do this? You know, technically, can I change a URL and, mm. you know, can I, can I change the name and the brand and whatever? And you guys had some great advice. Um, I, I think, I think what I, what I knew we had to do was change the brand so that it could accommodate all freelancers, um, instead of just graphic designers. But, um, but there was, there was never a question for me that it was the right thing. It was just like, how, how can I do it? And I think to your point, like that's, that is incredibly helpful for people who are paralyzed, either, either just getting started or feeling like they're so far down the road that they can't ever pivot or change, but you always can. And if you can just figure out the technology, um, You know, you can you can always pivot to what you want it to be. Now, in hindsight, like I don't love the name that I picked five years ago. Like if I could do it again and maybe I will do it again. You know, there's a certain brand question around that. But um but as far as the actual direction and the methods that we use now to help freelancers, we do a way better job now under this new brand than we did under the old one. So it was definitely the right decision.
0: Um, what was the inspiration for the name, for the new name for Milo?
1: That is a good question. And I don't quite remember. Um, I think I, I, if I recall, I wanted a word that wasn't already occupied, mm-hmm. uh, by something else, you know, and I also didn't want it to pigeonhole me. Um, I was worried of even calling it like something freelance or freelance or something was, was like worrisome to me because we'd gotten locked into graphic design. Right. Um, so I wanted sort of an ambiguous term short. I wanted it to be short, um, easy to spell, which I think we accomplished. What we lacked to see was how popular podcasting would become mm-hmm. and how hard it would be to say. And so now everyone has me on the show and they're like, is it Milo? Is it Milo? Is it, if I have to tell them it's no, it's Milo. It rhymes with pillow. You, you and I have had this conversation a couple of times. Yep. And, uh, and so that's, that's a little bit tough, but you know, I think it accomplished a lot of what I wanted, um, which was just, uh, to let it occupy its own space in our readers brains of yeah. like this brand or idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, um, that's a tough thing for, for all entrepreneurs. Naming your business is yeah. So, yeah, hard. so hard. Um, because not only is it hard to come up with something that makes sense and doesn't pigeonhole you and so on, but then finding something that's available and yes, there's just a million yeah. things that go into it. Um, and, uh, at the end of the day, like you said, your brand becomes its own thing, you know, and, and it, it ends up occupying its own space for people. So, um, it's, it's a totally decent decision to go with, uh, kind of a made up word like that, I think. Um, but you know, we, we all have those times when we second guess ourselves or worry (laughs) about what's holding us back or, or, or so on. So,
1: well, uh, and as, as I look to like, you know, for people who are considering a similar thing to either name their first project or rename a current project, like you, I also have to weigh all of the pros and cons together. Like there, yeah, there's a lot of difficulty around pronouncing it, but but really like we get, you know, 90% of our traffic comes from search engines. And so it's like, well, do they really care how to say it when they show up? No, they show up and we have a great article on, you know, how to charge more for your freelance work and they don't care if they can pronounce it or not. Ideally, I'd love for them to be able to know how to say it so they can talk to their friends about it. But in reality, we're accomplishing what we're set out to accomplish, which is to help freelancers. Yeah. So it's not the worst and not the best, but it lies somewhere in the middle. Totally. Yeah.
0: Um, So, uh, you transitioned the blog from, um, from graphic design blender over to Milo. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When did you, uh, was that, did that happen before you went full-time?
1: Yes. Yep. So that was about 2015. I didn't go full-time until 27, late 2017.
0: Got it. And, um, what is your, your business model? What does that look like now?
1: Yeah. When I, when I first went full-time, uh, it was primarily sponsorships. We were doing Uh, About we were doing six figures in sponsorship deals um, with companies who wanted to reach freelancers Um, Since then since I have a lot more time now, obviously so sponsorships were a pretty hands-off process I had a sponsorship manager who I could once I sort of closed the deal with a sponsor I could just hand that off. We still do a little bit of that. I'd say that's probably about 20% of our business, but um, Now we do a lot more affiliate work We work with you know companies who want to reach freelancers and are willing to pay a generous affiliate fee and then we also the, the biggest chunk of our business right now is our, um, our job finding service for freelancers. It's called Solid Gigs. It's at solidgigs.com. And we basically, our team comes through dozens and dozens of freelance job sites. And we post the top 1% or 2% of the jobs that we find for our members. Um, and they can go ahead and apply to those leads or contact the, the, the person there and try to get those freelance jobs. And, and it's just a subscription model, but it's, it's, it's our biggest chunk of revenue right now for the business.
0: And what uh, kinds of jobs are you helping people find? Is there a particular, you know, skill set that that your freelancers tend to have?
1: Right now we focus on uh, four core disciplines. Uh, design, because we had a lot of designers, you know, in our audience to begin with. So design, writing, marketing, and development. So that can range anywhere from graphic designers to web designers, but also, you know, PHP developers or all sorts of things. Um, but those are the four we're focused on right now. And then we're hoping that next year we can really branch out, um, and serve a lot more specialties over the coming years.
0: So let's, let's talk about, um, becoming a successful freelancer, because as we, we mentioned in the beginning, it is the way that a lot of people get started as entrepreneurs or make that initial transition from a day job into working for themselves. Um, but there's big variability in in how successful people are. I think it's one thing if you're a freelancer and uh really what you're doing is just transitioning from a full time employment to a full time contractor and maybe working for you know somebody who is a client of the business that you used to work for that's kind of easy seamless thing. But if you're out there looking for you know various jobs and trying to you know have a client roster and and maybe you have short term projects, it can be tough. Uh, to to be successful in doing that, so what are the foundational things that that you see in people that are successful freelancers that they tend to have or work on?
1: I think, and this my opinion of this has shifted over the years, but but keep in mind now that I've been sort of talking with and coaching through the blog and working with freelancers for like over a decade now, or freelancing myself too. I continue to freelance, you know, a bit myself so that I can sort of keep my finger on the pulse. And I think what I've landed on is uh, freelancers, myself included. We worry about a lot of things that really don't matter. When really we should be worried about finding reliable, consistent clients, and, and therefore reliable, consistent revenue. Right. That's as freelancers, because so many of us are craftsmen. Uh, you know, we're great writers, or we're great marketers, or we're great designers. Because we're so good at that, we tend to—it's sort of the E myth problem. If you've read that book, uh, it, we tend to be really good at baking bread, but not really great at running a bakery. You know what I mean? And so, mm-hmm. I think the the freelancers who are the most successful that I've seen are the ones who focus on the business side as much or more as they focus on their craft.
0: And on the business side, what are the activities that they that that a freelancer can do? to set themselves up for finding better, more clients, all that sort of stuff.
1: Absolutely. I've, I've written a bunch uh, around the web on um, on a couple of these topics, one of, one of which is what I call a minimum viable portfolio. So it's like a portfolio focused on high conversion. So many freelancers spend weeks and weeks and months and months, and maybe they sit at their day job and Fiddle around with their online portfolio, like waiting for it to be perfect, so they can pitch that first freelance client and finally start on their freelancing journey. And in reality, you maybe need one or two projects, and and then a really well written, well designed, maybe one page or two page online portfolio that's just focused completely on converting site visitors into clients. If that's the route you're going to go, I've I've also spoken with um, with freelancers who instead of going with a portfolio approach. Like, um, I did a year-long podcast where every week I chatted with my friend Andy, who was at this same company that I la- I got like go from. He left a few months before the layoffs, and he uh, started freelancing full time, completely on Upwork. Like all of his business just comes from Upwork. So if you're not familiar, Upwork is is probably the leading freelance marketplace, and that's where all of his clients came from. And so, but but the underlying like underlying action that I've seen the most successful freelancers take is focusing on getting those clients in the door and then all the other stuff will follow.
0: So in, in your friend Andy's case, um, did he have some sort of online presence or, um, no, he just, he just went out and found clients. He didn't worry about having a website or a portfolio or a blog or anything like that.
1: No, that's right. He he didn't have like an audience first or a content first approach. He I mean, I guess he had an online presence on Upwork, but um but that's all he did. He built an upwork profile. He um he started reaching out to people on Upwork who were looking for the kind of work that he was he was offering, which was like spreadsheets and data and that sort of thing. Um and yeah, and he and he started doubling his rates every couple of weeks and they kept paying his new rates and he doubled and doubled and doubled and and now he just makes great money exclusively working on Upwork. I still think he doesn't have a uh, portfolio or a site set up yet where he can bring in clients
0: see that's really interesting when when we started talking about freelancing i I expected that we were going to end up talking about the importance of building your own platform, your own mm-hmm. profile and so on um, in order to be able to double your rates or or raise your rates because for f- most freelancers, I think a lot of us Uh, I did some freelancing as well. I think a lot of us end up setting really low rates in the beginning because you you just kind of go, well, I was working for this much before and I'm happy to work for maybe a little less because I don't have a boss anymore. And so you just divide your salary by the number of hours that you work, your hourly rate, whatever that was, maybe discounted a little bit. And so you're working for around what your hourly rate was before. And then you don't realize just how many hours you end up having to put into the business side of things, into right. marketing, into managing clients, and so on, that you're not directly being paid for. So in order to make ends meet, your hourly rate has to be a lot higher. And so my worry would be that if if somebody went out and they just found gigs um, without having their own profile, that they would have trouble – uh, raising the rates and trouble convincing people that they were worth more. But it sounds like even on a platform like Upwork, where you can find people do things for you for like $10 an hour, probably, right. There are just so many people on there, um, that even in that environment, that quality work is still rewarded and people have been able to raise their rates there.
1: Yes, absolutely. I, you know, sites like Upwork, um, oftentimes get a, get a sort of a bad rap in the freelance community. Um, for I th- I think from people who haven't tried it. Um, and, and in fairness, like, uh, so I haven't in depth tried Upwork uh, necessarily. So I'm sort of speaking from again, this like year long interview I did with with my friend. And um, it, I I also I also readily admit that like, some industries are better than others. <clears throat> you know, when there's when there's a logo designer who will design your logo for 10 bucks or something, it's hard to get in there and like design one for, you know, or whatever you can charge a a corporate client. So, so I think it depends a little bit on your industry and it depends on, on what kind of service you offer. But, but there are, I mean, countless freelancers making money on sites like Upwork or even like, like Fiverr, which gets an even, even worse sort of, uh, it just really takes the hit in the freelance community on just being garbage work, but they have Fiverr. Oh, go ahead.
0: And for people who don't know Fiverr it's f i v e r r yeah. r i believe
1: Uh, just 2 hours yeah
0: or just 2 hours it started out literally as a site where you could get work done for 5 dollars that was their right. that was their yeah. shtick, right and now obviously you know the freelancers can charge whatever they want there but it does still have that flavor of if you want to go find somebody for super cheap Um, but I think a lot of freelancers are just slicing up the work into such small pieces that they can afford to do it, but they're trying to get a batch of work to do or something.
1: Yeah. And, and they have Fiverr pro now, you know, where you can get paid three or $500 to do a, a task that maybe other freelancers are getting paid 20 or $25 to do. So it depends. It just depends on how you frame yourself. And, and, um you know i've i've spoken with uh, i spoke with a a guy a little while ago he posted an article on our site where he just ran an experiment on fiverr in addition to his current freelance work and he was able to make an extra $33,000 that year just by adding a few services on fiverr here or there so there there are ways to do it but i think like coming back to the core theme it's like whether you're on upwork or whether you're on fiverr or whether you're out scouring like the um uh your own city for local companies or whatever that you can work with. Like the the thing to focus on is how do I get business in the door? Because until you have, until you have a regular recurring list of clients, you can't have regular, obviously regular recurring revenue. And until you have that, you kind of don't have a business. You have more of a hobby or, or, a, or a, even a side hustle on your hands and you don't have an actual business on your
0: hands. Yeah. Or, or feast and famine, feast or famine kind yeah. of situation, yeah. right? Where yeah, sure, maybe you work hard and you find a bunch of clients, but then when those clients go away, um that can be an unsettling feeling to realize that it's not as stable as you had hoped we um just you know kind of took a turn and we now are talking about people who are going out there and directly finding clients have you seen or do you often recommend that people work on building their own profile their own platform in the world um, whether it be starting a blog or a podcast or building up some sort of more advanced kind of website portfolio sort of thing so that uh, clients come to them in a way as opposed to them going out and finding clients? Is that a path that you see people taking?
1: Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Maybe uh, I have a couple of really great examples of this. So I have two friends. One name, one's name is uh, Ryan Robinson. He does a lot of great things for freelancers too. And he, um, he told me a little while ago about a client. Uh, he's a writer, primarily a content marketer. Um, and he told me about an experience he had with a client where he was ready to sort of give up uh, client work. He was moving on to something else and growing his blog and a couple other things. And so he wanted to sort of push out his clients a little bit and only keep the ones that were willing to pay really the best prices. So with this one client, every time they came back to him for a new article, he doubled the price. And he got up to something like $4,000 for one article um, before. Before they finally stopped calling him, and so he so the last article that he wrote for them, they paid him four thousand dollars and for even for a very well established successful freelance writer, that's an amazing amount of money for one article yeah uh, and so uh, he did a great job of of using the the success of that he brought to his previous clients or to his current clients to then bring in more work. I mean, clearly they were getting the ROI they wanted out of that work, or they wouldn't have kept paying that higher price. So that's one way you can go about doing it. Like once you find your first couple clients, then it, the business just keeps coming if you do a good enough job, obviously. An even better example, maybe of what you're asking here is my friend, Ian, um, Ian Paget. He's, uh, he's known as the logo geek online. And he uh, ranks number one in Google for logo design in the UK not the term logo design in the UK. He ranks number 1 for logo design if you are searching in the UK. And wow. so yeah, anyone in the United Kingdom that wants a logo designed, they google that and they find him. And so he gets hundreds of inquiries every month and he turns down tons of business um and he only takes the projects that he likes the most. So there's certainly a lot of value to be had there in putting the the work in up front so that clients come to you instead of you having to go out every month and find more work.
0: Yeah, when I was um Building Think Traffic, the the blog that I ran um, starting in 2010, I had a vision for where the business was going to go, and I knew I was going to be creating online courses and so on. But uh, you know, a lot of people as they're getting started, we we talked about freelancing as being a great way to transition from your day job, but it can also be a great way, even if your plans are to be more of a um, traditional in- independent entrepreneur, maybe a, a content creator. Freelancing can be a great way to get revenue in the door before you have courses and speaking gigs and all that other stuff that you want to get so for me, um, because I had think traffic, I was able to advertise freelancing services and get some revenue in the door and that was great um, but at the same time, I remember that there were vast differences in the level of Clients that I got and the amount that I was paid, based on how I advertised those services. And for me, things didn't really click in Stella until I started to understand this concept of productizing a service. Mm. Is that something that you're familiar with and that that yes. you coach your freelancers on? Can you explain what that is and and why that's so important?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to hear what experience you've had there too. But <clears throat> productizing your your service as a freelancer is is kind of the next level uh, above just traditional client work in the way i see it. so um <clears throat> so for example let's let's stick with a designer just because that's kind of what we've been talking about so far. so if i'm if i'm a graphic designer and i have a client who, you know, calls me every month to redesign their catalog or something. um instead of every month having to renegotiate the price and renegotiate the terms and sign a contract and figure all of that out every single month, instead i might productize my "Quote unquote catalog catalog design service," and I might offer it to them for you know a thousand dollars a month or something, whatever my fee is that makes sense. And then they know that every month they can expect a new catalog design, and every month I can expect another thousand dollars from that client. And so um, I might then I might then go take a, the next step, which is to say okay, I might, I might do this catalog for one client and it's a thousand dollars and I figured out the process and maybe I farm it out or outsource it to other sort of subcontractors and other freelancers to help me with parts of it. So that frees up a little bit of time for me to now do some more marketing. So what I'm going to do instead is set up a landing page that says catalog design a thousand dollars a month. And and it's really sells people on that. And now I can find five, 10, 20 clients who are willing to pay a thousand dollars a month to have their catalog redesigned every month. And so um, you're now building a product and a system out of what normally is a very messy, organic process that takes a lot of manual input from you. Now you can almost remove yourself more from the process as much or as little as you want to, depending on how, how much you want to be involved creatively. And you can say, you know, for a thousand bucks a month, I sort of just manage these processes between these subcontractors and the clients to get the work done. And you almost become a little bit more of an agency model.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like the in-between, in-between just doing it on your own and and maybe being an agency. For me, um, the the thing that clicked was I read this book by Michael Port called Book Yourself Solid. We have actually a a full course inside Fizzle where we worked with Michael Port and his team to bring Book Yourself Solid to life in video form. And uh, one of the key concepts there was – this idea that people don't want to um, hire you necessarily and pay you an hourly rate for some kind of vague result. What they want is to pay you a well-defined amount of money for a specific result. And so if you're able to say, instead of, hey, you know, hire me, I'm $95 an hour, and here are the kinds of things that I can do for you. If instead you can say, if you pay me X thousand dollars, I will deliver these five very specific things and here are the benefits that you'll get from them. Then it just makes it so much easier for somebody to say, yes, I want that package. I want that. It's almost like I'm buying a product as opposed to just hiring Preston to do some things for me. Um, and so that was the the transition for me from just saying I'm available, you know, for this kind of work to saying here are the three packages that I offer on my site. And then you can get into you know price anchoring and all the other kinds of interesting stuff. Um, and I love that about freelancing because creating a quote unquote product from a service doesn't involve the months and months of work in building software or you know creating an online course or whatever. It's just a different Way of packaging the kinds of stuff that you already know you're good
1: at. Absolutely, and and what that also affords you is <clears throat> the power of scale. Right, you can then charge clients a a, a reasonable amount. Like they they'll see it as a, a a solid price for the value that you're going to bring them. And you can then multiply that by ten or twenty clients, and, and not have to multiply the work by ten or twenty because you're just you're following processes that you've already set up within your business to then just just multiply by as many clients as you want to take on. So, yeah, I I I love the idea of I think you you really hit it on the head when you said um you're advancing, you're taking your your freelance business to the next step by saying not no longer saying I'm available for hire for a certain number of hours or a certain cost per hour. Um instead, this is what we would call value-based pricing. Mm-hmm. Your your client is buying the value that they'll get back out of the project and you know, coming Back to my friend Ryan, who was able to charge four thousand dollars for an article. This wasn't a product tie, but he he was saying was not more how their business, but how they plan to make four thousand dollars, right? And so that's what a client is looking for. Can I make back the money that I'm spending on you? And if and as long as they can, they'll keep you on for your whole life, because really the whole goal is just to make a positive profit margin on the work that you're doing.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, not that this was the entire, uh, $4,000 of value, but also going out and finding a, going out and finding a new contractor, a new freelancer to do work for you is such a chore that sometimes people will pay the higher rate just because they don't want to have to go out and find someone else.
1: The- That's part of the value, Right. Part of the value you're providing is you don't have to go find another freelancer.
0: Yeah, the yeah. the crazy thing about freelance work, contract work in general, um, especially when it's something that you feel like is a bit of a commodity, like um, designing a logo or designing a website, is that mm-hmm. the price ranges out there are extreme. There are people out there who will do a logo for ten dollars, I bet, on Fiverr. Yep. There are yep. services out there where you can have twenty different designers bidding to do a logo for you and you end up paying maybe two hundred dollars or something. Yep. But it also goes all the way up to where some of the world's most sought after logo designers are charging thirty, fifty thousand dollars, something like that yeah. for a logo. Yeah, more. Yeah. And more. And then the same goes for websites. You know, people are, agencies are charging hundreds of thousands of dollars for a website that others might charge, you know, given the, the scope of the work, a few thousand dollars for. Right. Oh. And um, it, you can make it really hard on yourself if you're fighting for those low paying jobs. You mentioned um, in, the, in the notes to prep for this, something about building high converting online portfolios. What have you seen in the differences between portfolios that just don't really seem to help get better clients and those that do?
1: There are a few differences I've seen. Um, so I've so this comes from uh, spending lots of time critiquing portfolios for members of my audience. I've just done a bunch of portfolio critiques in hopes that one day I can release some sort of information product that will help uh, people improve their portfolio. But here, here's some. Here's a few common things that I see that that really just kill the conversion rates on your portfolio. So, um, first of all, not having like a conversion focus on your portfolio, not not being focused on actually converting people from site visitors into clients. You'd be amazed at how many opportunities you give people to leave your site. Um, uh, you know, by including social media icons or articles to blog posts or whatever it might be. Like, there's a million what we would call off ramps. Ways that you might just have people leave your site and never come back, and that's and that's um, you know low-paying clients, high-paying clients, like anyone. You want to keep as many people on your site as you can. But the but but in addition to keeping as many people on as you can, you also want to use your copy and your images and the flow and what I call the journey of your portfolio site to qual- to sort of pre-qualify the right kinds of clients. So unless you have some sort of system to hand off you know, low-ball clients that you don't actually want to work with, you don't care as much about them converting because then they just end up being extra work, extra emails you have to send to let them know that you don't work with, that you can't work with them and maybe refer them to someone else. Just lots of extra work. So <clears throat> if you can, through your copy and through your images, show the kind of work that you do uh, and the kinds of clients that you typically work for, then you can let those other people off ramp and leave and you can hold on to the best client's Uh, That come to visit and so by holding on to them you guide them through this journey and honestly my recommendation for a for most freelancers is like a one-page portfolio really does Do the trick most of the time because you can control as they scroll what they see and in what order if you put everything on a different page Up in your navigation you maybe have home about you know hire me Services portfolio You have all these things you can't control what they see when and how they go through this journey of learning about you But if you put it all on one page you keep it simple They just scroll down. Maybe they first read a little bit about you. Then they see some of your projects and how those projects have impacted previous clients. Um, That's another thing I see a lot of is like these gallery portfolios, particularly because I'm in the design field, like just so many images and examples, but no, um, but no like uh, explanation of how those projects helped the client. Mm -hmm. So but if but if you can control that story all the way down, and then they get to the very bottom, and they can take action to hire you, then that can be, uh, you know, a really effective sort of funnel to getting new clients in the door on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and and this is uh, a lot of what you're saying is not common sense, but it's the same kind of thing that you would recommend. Any sort of online business do you have to you have to think about the yeah that's true yeah, the specific action that you want your visitors your potential customers to take, and then make sure that you present them with those actions and and ask them to take that action I'm curious um, when it comes to freelancers and portfolios, do you recommend that people try to guide um, their visitors their potential customers into some sort of uh, an opt-in, like a lead magnet or something to download? Or do you typically present them with more like uh, just, here's how to contact me or get a quote or something like that? What sort of action works best?
1: What I've seen the action that works best is is low barrier um, contact in whatever way works for you or or even better if you know what works for your target audience. So if you're targeting people who, you know, due to age group, uh, or or other demographic uh, qualities that you might know about, maybe they prefer like Facebook Messenger or maybe they prefer email or maybe they prefer to fill out a form or something. Whatever you can use to lower that barrier to contact, <clears throat> um, do it because and what I see a lot of freelancers do, too, is is you know they'll have this ten question form of like you know what what does your budget look like, and what does your timeline look like? None of that matters until you can actually contact the client. And so, I would keep as as few fields as you can in a form, or in a or in a you know a how to contact me sort of scenario, and and make it as easy as possible for them to to contact you. Um, at which point then you at least have their contact information you can work them into sort of an onboarding process where you can then find out what their budget is and what they're looking to do but but until then you may scare them off and you may never see them again so i the the real key for me is the low barrier to to contact
0: it's interesting i i i think sometimes um people copy tactics that are being used by some of the the more well-known people in their industry without understanding what the strategy is behind it or what the situation is. So I'm just imagining maybe some really well-known website designer gets way too many inquiries from unqualified clients. So they put up some barriers intentionally. They put up some barriers like, what's your budget? Yes. And the only things right. you can select from, what's your budget? Start at like $20,000, right? <laughs> right, yeah. But then the average newbie freelancer comes along and, and assumes that that's the best way to create a contact form and they don't understand the, what that does to the, the flow of leads for them. Um, and it sounds like what you're saying is it's, it's better almost to qualify people after you collect their contact information than before so that you don't put up any artificial barriers. Look, it's, it's hard enough to stand out. It's hard enough to get people to your website. Don't throw up additional barriers before they're able to even get in touch with you.
1: Yeah, and you, you bring up a good scenario. Like at some point, you may want to put those barriers up. At some point, you might be getting, you know, my buddy Ian that I talked about earlier, he's getting so many inquiries every month, he has to start filtering those somehow. But if you're, which I imagine most people listening to this are probably thinking about getting started or pretty new in the world of freelancing. If, if you're in that scenario, you have, to, you have to just take all the opportunities that come your way and at least explore them. It doesn't mean you have to take on a client that won't work well for you, but at least give yourself the option. To say and to learn who's visiting your site, right, and to learn what kind of client is actually reading through your whole site and contacting you at the end, that can teach you a lot as well. So there's a lot to be gained from letting kind of everyone through the door in the beginning, just to learn about your business and about you and about your client pool and that kind of thing. So I, I think there's a lot to learn there. Also, like uh, if you, if you, if you, what what I see a lot of people doing is also following just typical like WordPress themes or or just website that they see coming back to what you said before, just because everyone else has like a social media button or, or you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest on their site doesn't mean you necessarily need to as well. Um, those are just opportunities for, for site visitors to leave. So I think the real goal is to think critically about every single piece of your online portfolio and ask yourself, does this particular element lend itself to converting this visitor into a, a potential client, and if not, consider getting rid of it
0: love it um, I'm curious uh, for people who are thinking about entrepreneurship and and just are kind of stuck with how to get started and you know maybe they have these grandiose ideas, um, but they just feel like so distant. Do you feel like taking on some freelance gigs in a in a low um, low risk, kind of low effort sort of way, is that a good way to get started and to kind of feel what it's like to get some revenue in the door? Maybe you just poke around on uh solid gigs or on Upwork or something and and look for a job and and take that maybe as a side hustle. And then, and then later consider how that might turn into a full-time thing.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of keeping your day job. Um, which obviously, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, uh, maybe wasn't, isn't, hasn't been the best thing for me. Like I might've stayed there had I never had the push and then I would still be unhappy at a day job. But, but I'm a big fan of like, not, not leaping before you're ready. I remember, I don't remember who this quote was from, but I remember Chase used to talk about it all the time on the show, which is like, just because you hate your job doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. (laughs) And, and this sort of falls into that same category with me where like, if you're not sure yet that you can actually make it as a freelancer or as any kind of online entrepreneur, or entrepreneur in general, like, like take some baby steps to test the waters. Um, and it also gives you a chance to then build up a client base so that when you are ready to take it full time, you have some experience going into it. Freelancing is a pretty hard thing to like, wh- while I do think it is maybe the fastest and easiest way to get revenue in the door. One of the fastest or easiest ways to get revenue in the door as an entrepreneur, um, There's still a a bit of a time lag You know particularly if you're a brand new freelancer a lot of clients won't pay you up front So there's sort of this like well you have to complete the project first so I I really think freelancing on the side of your day job is a great opportunity to Save up some money um, Get the cash flow moving figure out if you're really cut out for this if you really enjoy it figure out What kind of clients to work with and then once you really feel like you have your feet under you Then is a great time to maybe take your day job part-time if you can part-time doing that, part-time freelancing, and then eventually take it full-time.
0: Tell us a little bit about SolidGigs.com. What, what is the intention there and, and how is that useful?
1: Solid Gigs came about because we at Millo, we, uh, all the time we had like these onboarding sequences for new subscribers or new Facebook group members that just said, what can we help you with? It's like a pretty common thing. I know you've talked about it a lot on the show here when you're building an audience. We just said, what can we help you with? And everyone came back. I swear everyone was saying, I need more freelance jobs or I need more clients. And so we, we got to thinking like we have all this information on how to find clients, but what people really want is just clients handed to them. They just want like leads. They need leads in the door so that they can say, this is a good one. This is a bad one. And so what Solid Gigs does is we, um, we're finding everyday new job boards, but we, we basically go through dozens and dozens of job boards, freelance job boards on a daily basis. And we find the top one or two percent of those job boards um, in the categories that we're focused on right now, and we post those to our site and email them to our members. And so our goal is to to deliver to basically, you know, you talked about all that non billable time, uh, you know, hours that you can't get paid for. A lot of those hours for freelancers are in hunting through job boards, through Craigslist or through Upwork or whatever your job board of preference is. You're spending so much time every week just hunting instead of actually doing work that you care about. And so our goal is to help freelancers cut through all of that and save hours and hours every week. We'll do the hunting for you. And then you just get to pick, you know, which leads you want to pursue and then hopefully work on projects that, that you're passionate about.
0: Awesome. Preston, uh, thank you so much for being here and, and uh, sharing with us how to be a successful freelancer. It's such an important topic. I'm glad you were able to help us out.
1: It's been a huge honor for me, man. I really appreciate you having me on. And good luck to everybody out there who who wants to give freelancing a shot. It's worth a shot.
0: Awesome. You can find more from Preston Lee over at millo.co or solidgigs.com. Uh, as always, you can find links to everything that we talked about today over at fizzleshow.co. This was episode 355. I'm Corbett Barr. And until next time, thanks for listening to The Fizzle Show.